0: growling mean and angry hear that call host shouting it's Dana and Jay
1: alright the latest edition to Hear That Podcast Ground is presented by Visa, a network working for everyone and as always Paulina Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. Jay happy holidays, we're almost there almost Christmas time. Happy Festivus Happy Festivus. We're going to celebrate that today. Yes. It's going to be a Festivus for the rest of us, and we're bringing the pull out of the crawl space, Jay. <laughs> Airing of the grievances on here, that podcast growling today. Uh will be part of our, our show. I'm very excited about that. we got a lot to get to. Big game. Huge game. Biggest game at Paul Brown Stadium in six years, at least in terms of leverage uh, and importance to the playoffs. And so we've got a lot to dive into there. We're gonna talk to Jeff Zriebeck in Baltimore. And uh, it might be the it might be the most interesting uh relevant conversation with the opposing beat writer we've ever had <laughs> because there's a whole lot going on in Baltimore between they now have a COVID outbreak. There's questions of if this game would even maybe be played on Sunday uh, their quarterback situation is up in the air and in sort of shrouded in mystery. There is a lot
2: to get to with Jeff and you do. And so that's going to be an important conversation. I missed an opportunity. I I should have asked him if he sees himself as more of a corner or a safety. If he were to be pressed into action on Sunday,
1: (laughs) (laughs) we're we're reaching that point. We're reaching that point as you'll hear him tick through the healthy bodies. And it's not a long list um, as the Ravens defense tries to figure out how the hell they're going to do this on Sunday. But I feel like this has been the every week with the Ravens this year, I always say, "How are they possibly going to pull this one off?" And then there they are at the end. It's been a bit of a miracle working. And you know, as much as John Harbaugh has taken heat in Baltimore, you wouldn't believe the conversations happening in Baltimore about John Harbaugh. Obviously, a lot of it centered around some of the decisions he's made. But I would—he'd be in my Coach of the Year conversation at this Man. point when you consider everything that has happened to them. And to still be sitting here at eight and six with a chance, I mean, to me, is amazing because they are have been beset by injuries and adversity
2: all year long. It is amazing, but on the flip side, they they are zero and three in December. They they were coming in since Lamar got there. They had been fourteen and two in December coming into this year, and still, even with this three game losing streak, they still have. More December wins than anybody but Kansas City. Kansas City has 15. I mean, this it's a franchise that just finds a way to be at its best at the end of the year, and I, it'd be as great as a job as he's done. It would be hard to, to give Coach of the Year to a coach whose team is 0-3 to start December.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that, but when you're out there playing with people that no one's ever heard, that are straight mm-hmm. off the street and still finding a way to keep games close, They've lost. They've lost three in a row by a total of four points, uh, and missed two two-point conversions at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, with the with the players that they're rolling out there, to to be able to say that sentence alone to me is success. You're right. The award would never actually go to him, but I look at it and i I come away incredibly impressed with the job that he's been able to do. Um, so we're going to have that. We're going to have our air, airing of the grievances. We'll talk to Jeff. Uh, we will dive into our predictions, growler bet, run, passer boot. All of those things come in your way as we prepare you for Sunday, likely Sunday. We hope Sunday <laughs> at one, we hope this doesn't turn into a, a situation where we get the two day postponement. Like we saw three games last week. Um, but it's going to be a Touching next 24 to 48 hours uh, as we monitor if the Ravens have to put another load of, they put five people on COVID reserve again yesterday. If that continues to go that direction, we may be having very different conversations. We may have to drop an emergency pod on you on Christmas Eve. And no one wants to do that. No. Absolutely no one wants to do that. Uh, Let's hop into the news here locally. Um, and we'll start with the injury news, which is good. You know, the injury report coming out on Wednesday has been sort of a devastating tweet, uh, in recent weeks, but this week it was not this week. We had what we already knew Logan Wilson, uh, who's not going to play on Sunday being not participating, Khalid Kareem, who's in concussion protocol, which we know how that goes. Unlikely he'll probably play, but we knew that. Uh, DJ Reader was listed as a knee, but he seems to say that he's going to be okay after he put out praying hands on Twitter and scared everyone (laughs) and then said, no, I'm fine, everybody. Um, But DJ Reader has been taking Wednesdays off for three straight weeks, uh, so he likely is fine. Drew Sample showed up with a foot injury that we're not super sure of. But that's it for did not practices limited was a chemo with the ankle. Mitchell Wilcox with the toe full participant for the first time since the pinky injury on Wednesday is Joe Burrow Uh, and Joe Mixon a full participant despite the ankle uh, that had people nervous from this past weekend. So that is very good news on a very clean sheet for the Bengals in, in front of one of their biggest games of the year.
2: Yeah, and in Burrow, you know, two weeks in a row now. It's just he's just listed with right finger. It was right finger slash knee for a while, but the knee hasn't been on there. That is no longer an issue. You have to feel Adeniji is going to be good to go and, and get back in there for Jackson Carmen. Um, so it is. It's it, you still wonder about Khalid Kareem. It's those concussions are. It, it's hard to judge, and the fact that he he didn't go. Yesterday, it just it doesn't seem likely they're going to have him. But that with Hubbard and Hedrickson, that you'd like to have an extra red edge rusher, but it's I, I don't think that's that big of a deal for for week sixteen. This is an injury report anybody would take, especially Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore <laughs> would take anything even slightly resembling
1: this. Baltimore, who's you know has nine of their twenty four defensive players that are actually on their roster, not counting those on injured reserve already on either the COVID list and then a few more not practicing because they're nursing injuries. I mean, they are, it's, it's a total mess and their secondary in particular has no one left, has no one left, no one left, but practice squad guys. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that with Jeff here. Uh, other news, um, Pro Bowl announced yesterday. Uh, Joe Mixon, Trey Hendrickson, Jamar Chase all make the Pro Bowl. Um, And the Bengals had uh, a number of alternates. Joe Burrow is a second alternate at quarterback. Um, Long snapper Clark Harris, second alternate. Defensive end Sam Hubbard, fourth. Defensive tackle, Larry Oaken, Joby fourth, cornerback Mike Hilton fifth. So there's your Pro Bowl representation this year. Um, we'll touch more on that in the airing of the grievances, <laughs> which is where most Pro Bowl conversations begin. This is my disclaimer. I have my schedule, essentially a scheduled tweet I like to send out every year. I don't I don't think I even did it yesterday because it didn't even feel worth it to remind everyone that the Pro Bowl as a game. And a voting process, and a general idea is a complete and utter sham and should not be taken seriously in any way, <laughs> shape, or form.
2: We, That's all. I, it was my week to come up with the questions for the whip around. And I even told Jeb Zriebeck, I said, I can't wait to see Zach's reaction when I ha- I stick this Pro Bowl question in there. And uh, he did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> <Keep an laughs> eye on that. He said he would way. rather break down preseason games than talk about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> I totally
1: agree. I totally. The messed up thing about the Pro Bowl, though, that has changed with the new CBA <laughs> is they put contract escalators yeah for fifth-year options into Pro Bowl nods. That is astounding to me. What a ridiculous concept. That I, I remember talking about it when the CBA came out, how much I could not believe that. So now you owe a ton more money to Jamar Chase because he made a Pro Bowl. When the fact that people, the, the voting and everything for Pro Bowls is just absurd. There's also play time percentage as a part of that. But they kind of wanted to take out the whole draft slot. 1 through 10 gets this and 11 through 32 gets this. So they decided somehow landed on freaking Pro Bowls, which is just absurd. Uh, but either way, congratulations to Jamar Chase for making a bunch more money on mm-hmm. on landing that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the game and then get to Jeff before we air grievances. It, here's, the, here's the thing about this one, Jay. We have talked about the certain game plan that the Bengals need to execute to win in recent weeks, and it's been very kind of clear, right? It's It has been this grinding, don't make mistakes, um, run the ball type stuff, and, and take your shots when you have to. Now, San Francisco was a little bit, they had the depleted secondary, and there's some similarities I see here in San Francisco and Baltimore in that respect defensively. But this is a Joe Burrow game. This is not a line it up and run it. This is not like Denver. This is a your mismatch. Your way to dominate this game is on the arm of Joe Burrow. The same way it was in the first game when he threw over 400 yards and Chase went for 201. You got to exploit this secondary and You know, as we talk, much as we talked about them being sort of comfortable in embracing the no mistakes, run it, be careful approach last week in Denver, to me, this is the opposite in a lot of ways. Now, you still can't turn it over and you have to be safe there. But the big plays and the onus, I think, has to fall on the passing game to take advantage (laughs) of the biggest mismatch out there.
2: Yeah, I agree, but I, I just wonder with, with what the situation the Ravens are in, if they're going to sit back in a zone and, and go uncharacteristic of, of what they are. They were already seeing that where they're not blitzing as much, and I, I get to that with Jeff. If 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 they're going to give the Bengals light boxes, are, is Zach going to attack them the way we've se- seen him do in the past, or is he going to put it on Joe's shoulders? But you're right, when you just look at the matchups, it's – This should be Joe Burrow picking apart that depleted secondary. And especially, I know I mentioned it on Tuesday's pod, and I said it was five days away, looked like rain. Now it looks like it's going to be upper 50s and sunny. It is perfect football weather. It's a perfect day to throw the ball around. And, yeah, I I could see that. I I could also see them jumping out to an early lead and then kind of turtling up and getting more conservative and just kind of grinding it out. Who knows? They – could keep attacking, but it feels like we haven't seen them do it a lot, jump off to fast starts. If they are able to do it, it'll be interesting to see which direction they go, if if they keep staying aggressive and just try to completely bury the Ravens or if they start running the ball and, and just trying to work the clock. All right, let's take
1: a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an
0: assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: uh I want to bring in a comment and uh we'll squeaky cart this Joe Burrow um from his conversation with us on Sunday even though we're now on Zoom's uh totally during the week so we we the cart is sadly missed RIP cart uh which we'll be back on Sunday I guess post game but still it's still it's here in spirit um but we talked to Joe and You know, the first question here I'm going to bring you is him talking a little bit about how he's maybe playing some of his best football. And he touches on a topic of his pocket presence and mobility (laughs) that I think is very important uh, to his game. And then I, I had a question for him about, you know, that scene that came up on NFL films of, look, if we can win this division, we can win the whole thing specifically remember that clip and you go back to that game against Baltimore and the fact they have them back here again you can feel the same way if they can do the same thing to Baltimore here on Sunday uh, so here's a little bit of Joe Burrow from Wednesday you feel like you're playing your best ball of the season right now and over the past couple of weeks
0: yeah I'm I'm, I'm comfortable back there I think I'm finally getting back to where I was pre-injury, as far as my movement in the pocket and, and being able to extend the play, I've been able to do that a couple of times these last these last few games that I've I felt really comfortable in. I'm not even really thinking about it anymore, which is exciting for me because I wasn't really making those plays at the at the beginning of the year. So I'm finally getting back to myself, and um, you know I think that's just going to open up even more for us.
1: There was a scene. I think it might have been like an NFL film thing that caught you on the the first Baltimore game on the sidelines, saying, "Man, if we can win this division, we could win the whole thing." And was that game a realization moment for you about maybe the what this team could possibly accomplish this year?
0: Yeah, I think it was around then when we realized, you know, how good we could be. Obviously, we've had some some ups and downs throughout the year, and that's going to happen in the NFL. But you know, when when we when we play Baltimore, everyone knows what Baltimore can do to teams. And you know the way we went out and beat them last time. I think we all realized what we could be, and um, so that's that's that was exciting for for us to get that win. And then you know you put that behind us, and now we're here with with everything on the line in this game.
1: There's there's Joe Burrow with us on Wednesday. There's there's something here I I kind of want to touch on, and that is. What we've seen in recent weeks and and most notably on Sunday against Denver was Burrow's ability to feel the pocket presence, understand what's going on around him, make that split decision. He's so good at processing and either take off or hang in there. And Jay, you asked a question of him later in the press conference yesterday about his decision to do that and why he does that. Um, and I thought his response was really good. And and uh, actually, I want to bring that in because it kind of reminded me the Cooper Cup answer went viral the other day where Cooper Cup like went through everything he saw on a touchdown play <laughs> in like 19 seconds. And it was and everybody's like, this is amazing. Let me tell you how Joe Burrow processes things uh, within two and a half seconds out there. Here's Jay asking uh, Joe Burrow about. Deciding whether to hang in and make the throw or take off
2: You mentioned uh, your your comfort and your confidence in moving in the pocket What about the opposite? It seemed like against Denver that there were times the pocket was collapsing and you didn't get out and escape You stood in there to the last second or do you feel more confident standing in there
0: and have a better feel in the pocket? No, I think when you're do- trying to decide whether you need to move and escape the pocket or you need to stand in and make the throw you got to determine the, the situation of the game and determine the coverage and the route that you have if you have a route that is about to come open you know you want to sit in there and take the take the hit and make the throw and a lot of times that's that's third down that's you know third and ten third and eight where you know you have the right play against the right defense you you know it's just a longer developing play that you're gonna have to sit in and take a hit And other times, you know, you know the play that you have and you know the coverage that's being played, and you know you're not gonna really have anything and they're gonna be able to to cover the the route concept that you have based on the coverage that they're playing, and so then you can, you know, slide in the pocket and escape, you know, quicker than if you think that you have a route that's gonna come open. So I think it just determines whatever determines that is the situation.
1: Look, you can you can talk all you want to about the Cooper Cup answer, like what quarterbacks have to do and how Joe Burrow works this operation. Uh, I think that's one of those. He's do all that in like two point five seconds if he's lucky, right? And that sort of instinctual decision-making is kind of what sets him apart, Jay, you know, I mean, in, and it showed up in Denver where three times he ran and scrambled for first downs. And then you saw some of the biggest moments of the game. He hung in there and makes that throw to Tyler Boyd and takes the hit. You know, the, the instinct to know which one to do
2: so quickly is, is his superpower. It is. And I, I was really impressed with his answer. I, 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 it could have been a Jay's got stats thing. If, if I were to go through every Joe Burrow transcript, that might have been the most words that he's ever spoken on any answer. It's not like he's <laughs> short with us, but he get he gets to the point and he moves on. And that he was really expansive there. It was, it was really good. And that was something that struck me watching that game in Denver is, you know, the, you've got these backup linemen in there and the pockets collapsing. And there were so many times where he just, he just stayed in there and waited for, it's not a matter of like when you. So many times you see it when a free runner's coming, or not maybe not even a free runner, but just someone who kind of works free of the block, and the quarterback stands in there and knows they're going to take the hit. That's one thing. But as the pocket is collapsing and you, the pocket is collapsing, and and you know anybody can reach out and grab you and pull you down at any second. For him to just stay in there and wait and wait and wait till one of the receivers in the progression gets a sliver of daylight, it's just, it. I, I was really impressed by it, especially for a second year guy. It changes his game so
1: remarkably when he has that confidence in his mm-hmm. knee because he feels like he can use, he, he can go that route if he needs to. Here's, here's one for you. Paul's got stats. Through the first nine games of the season, Burrow had just four non QB sneak scrambles for a first down, just four of them in the first nine games last five games he's done it seven times including three against Denver you can sense that ability to to go that route to, to utilize that weapon if he feels like he needs to and you know I was talking to Zach Taylor a little bit about this the same concept because he's mentioned multiple times recently like look I Joe, some of the best decision-making that Joe Burrow is making is the throws that he's not making. And he talks about having confidence to call deep shots, knowing that it won't be shot called, shot taken. Mm -hmm. It's Jay Morrison. I know you're familiar with that. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's a Tony's with Rumpelmints at 2 (laughs) a.m. It's not always shot called, shot taken. Sometimes it needs to be shot called and understand when to get off of it and when to take it. And Burrow has been great at that, and it allows the play caller to keep calling them. The way he's great at it, too, is seeing it, understanding it's not there, but not letting it turn into a negative play. Maybe sometimes it turns into a sack, but he's been He's been throwing the ball away. He's been scrambling for first downs. He's been understanding how he's been taking the check down when it's there. You know, I think that's important to to have confidence in, you know, as a play caller to know that no matter what you do, how aggressive you want to be. It's not going to end up in a worst-case scenario, and Burrow's been really good at that, particularly of late now. As we've seen, he's gone two straight games without interception, and we really haven't seen him putting the team in in harm's
2: way in a big way in in, in a number of weeks. And don't forget about the other element to that of of him sliding and moving in the pocket and extending is something you wrote about earlier this year, just how— good they are at the off script plays and we saw it in that Denver game where he bought time and hit Jamar Chase for the 45-yard bomb and got called back because of a holding penalty but those those are the kind of things that can erupt it doesn't have to be shot called shot taken They, they can come up with shots on their own off script and not just come up with them but hit them be really good at it so it is it's 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 all just part of the the ascension of, of a young quarterback. And I, I think he's, he's climbing faster than I think he, maybe not he didn't expect, but I think he's climbing even faster than people outside the organization thought he would need. I
1: mention fourth and five against San Francisco uh, yeah. and, and the off script play there. Here's the other part of that is when you look at since week 10, so we're just talking the last six games here for both of these teams. Here's some, some drive rates, and then something else I want to make sure I mention here, o- offensive points per drive since in the last six weeks, uh, Bengals are 11th in the NFL, uh, 2.17. Baltimore is 21st. You know, they've they found a little something with Tyler Huntley, who's kind of sparked their offense a little bit. And if you watch the game against Green Bay, they, they moved the ball up and down the field really well. Mm-hmm. Um but they still have kind of overall struggled to get it going offensively. Defensive points per drive the last six weeks. Bengals are sixth, 1.55. Baltimore's ninth. It's amazing that they're still in the top ten in points per drive when you consider how beat up they are. Here's the thing. Over that period, their rush defense has been great. They're third in yards per carry allowed. Like They're, st- they're still stuffing everything when teams try to run on them. They're, they're sixth in defensive rush success percentage, so they're they're finding success at better rates than almost anybody stopping the run. Their pass defense is bad, as you might imagine. When your secondary is totally wiped out, when you don't have any good matchups out there, you, it's awful. They are 28th in yards per attempt allowed and a whopping 12.3 yards per completion. That is far and away worse than the NFL. Teams are getting ripping them for big plays who connects on more big play touchdowns than any quarterback in the NFL this year. I'll wait for your answer. It shouldn't take long. Joe Yeah. I mean, he has, he has more than anyone by a long shot. The matchup sets up for you to replicate the first game in so many ways. And uh, you know we have played this game of Zach Taylor's trust in Joe Burrow and the the want to continue to establish the run and knocking your head against the wall for a good cause, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's fine. I think this feels like a game where you gotta kind of turn it over to Joe a little bit more, Uh, a lot more actually. Specifically early in trying to gain the lead. We we talked about this strategy earlier in the season. Burrow throws to give you the big lead. Mixon closes it and puts it away. I think that's where this needs to be. Baltimore is a team that has had slow start issues. Take advantage of that. I, I think it's a Burrow game.
2: And, you, I mean, look what Chase did against the Ravens the first game. And then Higgins, three straight 100-yard games until last week. And then last week, Boyd comes up huge. You've got it, – it, it seems like – it's been kind of one guy or the other. This would be a game it would feel like with with how beat up that secondary is that, that Burrow could really get all three of those guys involved and just kind of, you know, pick which way he wants to go. And and maybe we see all three of them top 60, 70 yards. Um you're right. I, you look at the, the one guy, Brandon Williams, their nose tackle, is one of the best run stoppers in the league. He is not affected by any of this. He is still healthy, and he is still playing well in the middle there. And their linebackers are mostly unaffected by the injuries and the COVID issues. So the, as good as they are against the run, that, that may still be the case on on Sunday. So, yeah, you, you could see them, them really kind of leaning on Joe and letting him carry him. And really, you're going to have to – you're going to have to see that. If they're going to get in the postseason, they can't keep starting slow the way they have. They, it, it, Eventually, they're going to fall in a hole they can't get out of. They've got to, at some point, come out and, and just explode in that first quarter, and this would be the perfect week to do it.
1: There's no doubt. Um, let's get to Jeff Zwiebek, uh, your conversation with him, because there's a whole lot of good stuff in here that's going to be a big deal come Sunday. So here's here's
2: Jay with Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing today?
3: Good morning, Jay. How
2: are you? Doing well. Merry Christmas to you. You as well. My first question, I'm going to guess you can't answer, but I'm just going to ask for opinion. Are are they going to play this game on time Sunday at 1 p.m.?
3: I think it kind of depends what happens in the next 48 hours or so. You know, um, there's enough guys that went on the, the reserve COVID list last week where you know, they should be getting a couple of these guys back in the next couple of days. Um, And, you know, as long as that happens, I I think they'll be good to go Um, or at least have enough players where it's it's not a major issue. Um, But if you have many more days like yesterday where they put five guys on the the reserve COVID list, if that happens again today and if there's continued cases up until the next 48 hours, I I think it's going to have to be addressed. I mean, it's not a situation, a competitive situation anymore. It's uh, then you simply run out of players, you, you know, like even on their defense. Yesterday, they had 13 total players practicing from their roster on the defense. And it's it's tough to get ready for a game that way. And if you lose more, it opens the question like, you know, what do you do? How do you, you know, how do you put a, a, a you know, how do you find 48 players to be on the field Sunday?
2: I mean, how do they even run a practice like that? You uh-huh. you, you spend a couple minutes on scout team, then you run over and do your stuff on defense. That's just – that doesn't yeah, make any and, sense. and you know
3: what? I, they moved it inside, which you know what that yeah. means. That means the media shut out, which, yep. you know, it, it was windy here and it's cold, but I imagine there's a, a gamesmanship aspect, not wanting us to see too much about what's going on and and, you know, the whole situation with the quarterback – uh, but they were only planning to have a walkthrough anyway. But I imagine you'd have to have some assistant coaches lining up at, at a certain <laughs> spots, you know, to at least uh, give you some different looks.
2: Well, you mentioned it the quarterback situation, uh, you know, in your opinion, are they are they better off with a hobbled Lamar or a healthy Huntley? I think
3: a healthy Huntley, um, you know, and I'm not. You know, I'm not drinking the Tyler Huntley Kool-Aid. I, I, I mean, already around here, there are Raven fans that are talking about, you know, maybe we can get a number one pick for him this offseason. Or uh, maybe, you know, we should trade Lamar and, 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 you know, hand over the offense. All that is ridiculous. Uh, I, I am comfortable saying, and Huntley gives him a chance to win. I mean, he does some things uh, well. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He has a really good idea against the Blitz. He's not Lamar dynamic with the ball in his hands, but he can make plays with his arm and his legs. He's played way better than I ever thought. I mean, we're talking about a second year on drafted free agent and you do you watch him and you look around and you say, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy has an idea, you know, he he's he can put you at least in a chance to win. And, um, you know, but all the other stuff is complete. It's is just ridiculous and overreaction like we get in the NFL. Um, but, but the thing about Lamar is, you know, he wasn't playing very well even before the ankle injury. So he was sort of in a month long <laughs> rut. Now you take the ankle injury and he hasn't practiced for, uh, what about 10 days now. Uh, we'll see if he's on the field, uh, today. Um, but as it is, I mean, you're getting a guy who wasn't playing that well and who's now probably not 100% and who hasn't practiced. I, you know, I I think uh, today's a big day for him. If he's able to come back to practice, I think that puts him in good position as long as he's able to do something at practice. But. Yeah, I mean, if he's 50, 60 percent, uh, you know, I don't think you can play him. I don't think he's going to help you like that, um, you know, but he's your franchise guy. So if he's anywhere close to 100, uh, I think you have to run him out there and, and take your chances.
2: You know, looking at the numbers, maybe, maybe it is a result of him not playing well and and the ankle injury, but they it seems like the the Ravens are running or are passing the ball a whole lot more this year than than they have throughout Lamar's tenure. Is it has it been a philosophy change? Is it has it been by necessity, or has it just been a fact that they've got some more weapons in the receiving game this year?
3: Yeah, I think it's a. I, I think it's kind of all of the above. Um, they definitely wanted to evolve offensively and become a little more dangerous, throwing the football and challenge defenses uh, down the field more. Um, you know, so I think that's definitely part of a, a philosophy change, or at least kind of how they view it as more of a, the evolution, the offense. But, you know, a lot of factors go into it. Yeah, their the receiving core is much more representative uh, of an NFL receiving group than what they've had in the past. Um, they've fallen behind in a lot of games, you know, they, they have, I mean, they've, they've, they've not been a slow starting team or excuse me, they've not been a fast starting team at all. And they've had to throw the ball, um, you know, a lot to get back into some games. Um, so, you know, that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, you look at the running back group and they have three guys they picked up off the street, (laughs) Uh, you know, like. Devontae Freeman's played okay and and you give him credit, but, you know, nobody's worried about, you know, stopping him and, and, you know, Latavius Murray hasn't brought a whole lot of juice and then they got a, you know, a kid off the practice squad so I, I think they've almost had to, Jay. I, I mean, they're just not the same. You know, the numbers look pretty good with their rushing, but a lot of that is quarterback scrambled and, and off some unscripted stuff. Uh, they just haven't been able to line up and run the ball really well and bludgeon teams like they, like they have in the last couple of years. So uh, they've had to become a little more pass happy than I'm sure they would probably prefer.
2: Yeah, Mark Andrews, first 1,000-yard receiver since 2016, and Hollywood's only 91 yards away. If he gets there first time since the first year of the franchise, that they would have 2,000-yard receivers.
3: Yeah, Uh, you know, Andrews is just – I mean, he's carried them right now. I mean, uh, he's been the guy, um, you know, and I think people worried about his numbers dropping off when Jackson went out, and he's actually been better with Huntley. You know, he's been – the last two weeks, he's kind of – you know, been so much of their offense. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, he certainly put himself, you know, obviously Travis Kelsey didn't go anywhere. We'll see how that winds up. But uh, Andrews certainly has got to be first team all pro consideration. Uh, his numbers next to Kelsey's are almost identical at the moment. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, the Marquise Brown thing, you know, he, he sort of. He's still been heavily involved. And, and, and to the Ravens' credit, in the past with Marquise Brown, he's disappeared. And you've like, why, you know, where is he? Why aren't they doing different things to get the ball in his hands? Why isn't he running more, you know, uh, you know, branches on the route tree? Why is it, you know, people would call him a one trick pony and all that. Mm. Um, the funny thing is that kind of trick has kind of disappeared in <laughs> recent weeks. He's just not making any big plays, but he's getting a ton of stuff underneath. Uh, they're getting the ball in his hands. I, you know, you probably know the numbers offhand, Jay, but I think he was targeted 13 or 14 times Sunday. Now, that was a kind of a result of the Packers were kind of afraid to let him beat him deep, and they were just giving him five, six yards. And, you know, Huntley is well more apt to take those five, six than Lamar uh, has been. Uh, so they're doing a good job getting the ball in his hands. I, I would say overall, he's had a pretty nice season, but he has tapered off a little bit after the start. The question going forward is, the Ravens have to work so hard to get down the field so that they don't create big plays and uh, they need to get Marquise Brown behind the defense rather than consistently dumping the ball off or taking five, six yard outs. And they just haven't been able to do it. I, you know, I think the Ravens is the only team in the league without a 50 yard plus offensive play. Mm. Um, And, you know, that's where Marquise Brown comes in. He's the guy that's supposed to take the top off the defense. And, and while he's been very busy, and and productive with the ball in his hand, the, the kind of the big play angle has kind of vanished from their
1: offense. All right, let's just take a quick break.
2: Maybe the bigger issue with the Ravens is on the defense. You, I mean, oh, you, you yeah. talked about it off the top with all the the COVID situation, but I mean, they've just injuries have killed them throughout the year. Is you know they started five and one, three and five. Since um, is, how much of this? Kind of tailspin. I mean, three losses in a row. They're they're one away from tying the the longest losing streak under Harbaugh. How much of that is attributed just simply to the injuries?
3: Yeah, you know, you, you, we all as reporters get sick of hearing the next man up phrase. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's you know uttered in every building, and and you know, I guess some of it's true, but there there becomes a time where you just you run out of healthy NFL caliber football players to throw mm-hmm. out there on Sundays, and you know, for all the talk, and, and I'm not really defending Harbaugh's decision per se, but for all the talk about going for two there against Green Bay, I mean, you know, you had practice squad players Garden Devontae Adams, you, you know, and, and your secondary is filled with practice squad players right now. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a good situation. It hasn't been, you know, ironically, Jay, the defense – has during their little losing streak or in recent weeks, their defense has actually played a little bit better and and the offense not being able to score over 20 points until the pack. I mean, in the five games before the Packers game, the offense was only averaging like 16 and a half points and that's not going to get it done. And even though the defense had picked it up, it just wasn't enough. Uh, But now you're getting to the point where, you know, right now they have three outside linebackers left. We don't know if, You know, we don't know of positive tests over the next 48, 72 hours. They lose more there. They don't have anybody on the practice squad. I don't know what they do. They're down to three inside linebackers. They're down to two cornerbacks and they're down to two safeties. They just don't have enough bodies right now. Now you can pluck guys off the practice squad, um, you know, in certain spots that there's, you know, they had do have a lot of defensive backs in the practice squad will help not a lot of linebackers, though. So you're going to wind up having to rely on a, a secondary with mostly practice squad guys. And, you know, look. No excuses. Everybody goes through stuff in this league, but you're not going to beat good teams like that. I I mean, it's just the reality. And I think, um, you know, the defense with losing Humphrey and losing Peters and losing Wolf before he even played a game, Calais Campbell's been banged up. Matabuke and Houston are probably out for Sunday um that's just you know you're talking about a major talent train there and and you know you can play hard you can play well coached but at some points you have to make some plays and uh they just don't have enough playmakers left on the defensive side of the ball
2: yeah I was gonna ask you last week they blitzed 5.9 percent I mean that that's the 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 previous before this year, the lowest wink had ever blitzed an opponent in a game was nineteen percent. Now maybe that had to do with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Um. But but have you seen them kind of get away from their philosophy because of these injuries and play a little more coverage as opposed to to being more aggressive?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think they have had to. And you know, it it is. It's it's against Wink Martindale's nature. Um. You know. uh, I know. You know everybody knows the book on the Ravens defense it's been the book for years and uh you know Martindale is even more aggressive in a lot of ways than his predecessors but he said he said to dial it back uh there's no question I mean we've seen against certain you know star quarterbacks Mahomes they did it early in the season they barely blitzed Rogers they barely blitzed and you know I I at one point during one game, I'm trying to think of the game. It was a recent game, um, maybe it was the Steelers game in Pittsburgh. Harbaugh kind of called out Wink Martindale. He, you know, mm. someone asked him what happened defensively, and he just said, "We got caught in the cover zero blitz." You he keep calling it. You're going to get burned on it. Pretty much was the message. Um, and John kind of walked that back uh, a couple days later, but you know, it, it was, the message was pretty much said. I mean, they've been very blitz happy. It's, it's helped them a lot. I mean, they've had one of the best third down defenses in, in football, and that's partly because their ability to get, get blitz and get free runners, the quarterback, but, you know, you can't continually put your cornerbacks on the Island when you're two, you know, when two or three cornerbacks or practice squad elevations, you know? So um, I think, Martindale's had to adjust given his personnel. Um, but it's been a goal. It's been a goal this year to be less bliss blitz reliant overall because mm. you know, I I will go back to that game where the Bengals were playing the uh Jaguars, you know, and the Jaguars defensive coordinators, Joe Cullen, the former Ravens defensive line coach, and burrow said and a key he audible, I think, and you you guys can correct me, but he audibled in a key spot and a third down, and the I think it was a wide receiver screen, and they took it to the house. If I'm, or they made a big play on it. And Burrow said after the game, you know, you know, their defensive coordinators from the Ravens, you know, we knew we knew they were going to blitz uh, on that play, and he called the right play to get out of it. Not, you know, certainly the book gets out on you, and you do have to adjust. And I think they have tried to dial it back a little bit in that sense.
2: Yeah, the play it was a wide receiver screen, but they were lined up. So that the ball had to go to a tight end, and okay, yeah. uh, he 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 got into field position, or he got into position for the the game winning field goal after that. And you know, talking about the blitz, I mean, they the Ravens only forced four turnovers in the last seven games. I think a lot of that has been from the lack of blitzing too. But that's something that is uncharacteristic for them. The uh the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, I guess, what a lot of people are talking about with with Harbaugh and the, these two point conversions in two of the last three weeks. I think we've all seen the clip of Mark Andrews saying that it was the right call and it sounds like the team has his back. But uh, what about the fan base? Do you are, do you think people are on board with this this type of aggression given the situation they're in? Or is it a lot of head scratching saying, geez, you know, it could be 10 and four right now as opposed to eight and six?
3: I think it's a little of both. You know, you get in every fan base, you have your you chunk of it where they judge the the call on whether it works or not you know like they don't look past that and look at the rationale for and consider the other factors and and they're the same people that if it worked they'd be hailing harbaugh for coach of the year Uh, now that it doesn't work it's john harbaugh is going to keep us out of the playoffs um you know and I I think you know again I think it's split I think you know Harbaugh largely has the support of the fan base the fan base is more uh anti-offensive coordinator Greg Roman and I and I think Sunday that was more the reaction you know good decision terrible play call um you know but yeah sure he's under some scrutiny and and the thing is Jay and and you know I'm not predicting a very close game Sunday, but it would be very interesting if it came down to another situation. Could Harbaugh <laughs> possibly do this again? I don't think you can possibly do it. Uh, you can't go for it for a third time and 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 risk losing a game like that. But we know his conviction. We know John. You know Harbaugh can be a little stubborn in his ways, but um, it, it'll be interesting. I, I think you know. People don't want to talk about this around here, but I think those decisions show what he kind of thinks of his roster, to be honest with you. They have a chance here to steal two wins by getting two yards. Um, it, it's not been, you know, they're kind of decimated on defense, and and let's take our shot here because we probably won't get a shot again. I mean, John's not going to mm-hmm. say that because he's not going to express, you, you know, skepticism with his roster. But but I think that's pretty where pretty much where they're at. You know, they've – you know, it's tough to say a team's overachieved, which has lost three straight games, but in a lot of ways this year, they've won a lot of games they shouldn't have because of their Mm -hmm. aggressiveness. Um, So you can't really have it both ways, you know. If you're going to be aggressive, I I think you have to stay that way. Um, The question Sunday was, uh, you know, 42 seconds left is an eternity. Aaron Rodgers Mm -hmm. was going to get the ball back if they made it and have 42 seconds left – uh, end a timeout, and he's probably getting the ball at his own twenty-five, and he's facing a secondary that has practice squad players littered across it. So I don't know how many people would have liked the Ravens' decision to stop that anyway, to to keep him from at least setting Crosby up for a field goal, and then who knows what happens from there. But uh, I, I think it's a reflection of the team they have, what they have left, just trying to go, find a way to grind out and maybe get to that ten win mark and steal a win here and there. And you know it works and it doesn't work uh, you know so there's some criticism no doubt and you know harbaugh's pretty established where he's fine with it being on him i think he the locker room's firmly behind him you know i i think they understand like do you trust your ability to get two yards or do you want to put it in the hands of your defense trying to stop a first ballot hall of famer twice you know with 42 seconds left and again maybe in overtime so i had no problem with the call but again, I I wasn't a huge fan of the play call, obviously. Uh yeah. and that's the thing. They're now two of eight and third down um, two point conversions this year. And you know, it's the old you can keep banging your head against the wall and doing the same thing, or do you try something else? Uh it would be fascinating. I know there's been questions here, you know, Zach Taylor is they've not right, they've not come from behind all year. Are they owe for twenty four when trailing in the fourth quarter or something?
2: Is that yeah, the they, uh, they, well, they, they trailed in the third quarter against the Broncos and came back, but yeah, they have not overcome a third yeah, I, uh, it would be, deficit at the end of the third quarter.
3: Yeah, I w- again, I'm, I'm not predicting close game, but it would be fascinating if this <laughs> game comes down to the fourth quarter uh to see the decision-making on both sides.
2: Well, hey, that's great stuff, Jeff. I really appreciate you jumping on with us Um I, I hope for your sake, this game's played on time, but if it's not and they delay it, you are welcome to come up and spend some time with me and Hamilton, because as Joe Burrow told everybody, there's nothing to do in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean,
3: uh, I've spent many of new year's Eve's in Cincinnati over the years. Cause these team, the Ravens always seem to play. And I know this is different schedule. But the Ravens always seem to be there in week 17 in past years. So yeah. why not spend Christmas night there too? You know, <laughs>
2: Well, hey, again, I really appreciate you jumping on with us, and uh, look forward to see uh, seeing you on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is they play.
3: Sounds good. Always enjoy it. See, see you guys. Hope you, you and your families have a great holiday.
1: Great stuff uh, from Jeff, and I have like, I have notes with exclamation points next to like six different things that he said. <laughs> and, I mean, you know. Th- the fact that he—it's so clear cut how much better they would be with a healthy Huntley than a hobbled Lamar—is—is mm-hmm. is wild. But I don't think you can debate that. Um, how good Mark Andrews has been is something worth keeping an eye on Sunday when you consider the Bengals versus the tight end and what George Kittle was able to do in keeping San Francisco in this. Um, you know, the idea that you're now—they you know, have been man. And blitz, right? Forever. And that's both of those things play into Joe Burrow's strengths a little bit. The fact that they're dialing those back, I think you could see them dial that back even more against Burrow when you consider how he's played. And then the, the line that stuck out to me most those decisions that John Harbaugh is making show what he thinks of his roster. You know, they're just, it's stealing games via miracle is <laughs> like the Baltimore season in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. From Justin Tucker's sixty-six yarder to these two-point conversions at the end of these wild comebacks, the Chicago game where Huntley came in and like drove him the length of the field with almost no time left as a backup. I mean, it's stealing games via miracle has been their method of victory or a method of gameplay, you know. And and so it's it's hard to imagine it being any other. Potential, you know, way that it could go on Sunday. That's just the games Ravens have
2: played. They they have played seven games this year decided by three points or less. The NFL record is nine. Uh, Bengals are right there at six. Jeff Jeff said a couple times he doesn't expect this to be a close game. I do. I I think this is a field goal game. There's so much on the line. Division rivals that know each other so well. Um, I know how beat up they are, but I just I have a feeling this one's going to be tight. We will get to those predictions. Yes. In a
1: bit, along with Growler Bet Run Passer Boot and some stats that we'll have for you, but it is time, Jay, <laughs> for the airing of the grievances. Get the pull out of the crawl space. I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're <laughs> gonna hear about it. Okay, I had to. I had to rewatch the Festivus episode. Like I always just, it's like a yearly thing. I feel like I need to rewatch the Festivus episode. It's great because it's connected to the Bagel Strike which uh it's hard i i can't really hang out near a bagel store or be inside of one and not just want to go no bagel no bagel no bagel no bagel to to people (laughs) just pretending the kramer on strike is just one of my absolute favorites also also the home of yamahama it's fright night which is also another great sign It's, it's a fantastic episode with lots of great stuff in it um but yeah, fe- I mean, a festivus for the rest of us—a a festivus miracle. We, we've got grievances to air. I'll start, Jay. Okay. And you can't air grievances yeah. without starting with the Pro Bowl, which, as a whole, mm-hmm. deserves grievances. No matter what would have happened, as a whole, you ha- you you have to look at this whole thing and say, "Come on, what do we? What, what is even happening here? Why are we talking about this?" The, if we're gonna do it though, let's do it. I I had one. Did you? Would you air grievances of Lamar over Joe Burrow
2: as the third AFC quarterback? Um. No my my grievance is take the vote away from the fans. Yeah. Let let the coaches and the players, maybe the media. Um, love you guys. Love all you listeners. But most of you don't watch that much football um there's some of you that do that grind the tape but it's just the fact that fan vote counts for one third i i just and and now that as you mentioned incentives are rolled into this it's just take it away from them i mean hakeem Adeniji was in the top 10 the entire time just because his name begins with a and fans didn't know who was good at guard and who wasn't so they just like the second first guy. at one point yeah um <laughs> so that yeah just Take the fan vote out of it or let them vote, but don't count it. Just don't tell them you're not really counting them them. Let them think they're involved, but quit releasing the fan vote tallies as you go and just let them think they're involved, but really leave it up to the coaches and the players.
1: I am not you know, trying to say that we deserve respect or responsibility that we know any more than the average Joe in a lot of ways. But I do think a third to the media, a third to coaches, and a third to players would be a better way to get a more proper representation uh, in the game. At, le- at least the media were paid, and we have the time to dive into those decisions. But that's neither here nor there. The, my issue, the actually the one that – and I, I don't know it was a huge issue. I just – I wish – There should have been more love for Chidabay Wuzier. Not even mentioned in an alternate. And he actually, and and again, I'm not, uh, PFF grades are not going to be something that I'm going to sit here and stand on the soapbox about, like whatever. Some are good, some are bad. Some I think are right, some I don't think are. I think it's easier to grade on the edges. You know more of exactly what happened and what went on. Than you did in the trenches, where there's a lot of whose responsibility really was that. What were they really trying to do? It's sort of like OTAs. Like we OTAs just are all about because it's easier just for those guys you just run around and, and do that. You can see you can see it more, you can judge it better. Bay Wuzier is the top graded AFC cornerback uh, by PFF, and the four spots went to J.C. Jackson, Xavier Howard, Denzel Ward, and Kenny Moore, who are great. Who are fantastic, the f- that's fine. Like you, I, I'm not going to get into those arguments, um, but the fact that we're not even talking about like a a deep alternate. It's look, it, it's people not really paying attention, whatever. There needs to be more respect on the season that Cheeto has had. He deserves it. He, he's been incredible, but people just don't realize it because it's here and he, it's an anonymous defense, and he's kind of an anonymous player that people don't really pay that much attention to, and he doesn't have a ton of interceptions. Um, And so for that fact, it's like, uh, but he is PFF's
2: highest graded AFC corner. Yeah, I made some calls to try to find the answer to this, and I nobody really knows, but I don't know how deep they go on the alternate scale for for certain positions. I mean, clearly, at cornerback, they go at least five alternates deep because that's what Mike Hilton was, and Mike Hilton has had a really good year, but he hasn't been better than a eh? it, it is stunning that a wasn't at least a fifth alternate at cornerback, and you know, I'll I'll, I'll throw one in there for DJ Reader too. I don't know how deep they went at defensive tackle, but for him to not even be listed as an alternate in the season he's having, uh, just just a travesty. And again, I guess a lot of a lot of what the game has become is is those three techniques and and the guys, the Aaron Donalds, and the way Geno used to be, those defensive tackles that are getting sacks, and that's not DJ Reader's game. But he's been maybe the best player on this defense. Maybe I, yeah, I guess you could go Hendrickson, but. He's been one of their best players on defense all year, and for him not even to get an alternate sniff is just—it's—it's it's wrong.
1: Yeah, but you know what else is wrong? The Pro Bowl. Yeah. As an entire operation, I'm going to mention it for the third time. Uh, I will go know,
2: cover it if they want me to, though, because it's in Vegas this year. Yeah, I know you would.
1: <laughs> Maybe you'll get to like fly a helicopter over the Grand Canyon again. <laughs> Shout out Paul Malloy.
2: Um.
1: So. That's my first grievance. Do you have another? Do you have a
2: grievance? Well, if I can go off topic and and go away from the Bengals, yeah, I'm still mad about Arby's taking ham off the menu. I'm never going to get over that. (laughs) You're going back to the Arby's ham grievance? (laughs) I mean, it just never goes away. Um, I mean, you're not wearing your meat sweats right now. I'm not. And, And shout out to Patrick Schwing. He's probably in town. He said he was coming in town this weekend to see the Bengals Ravens game. And, um, but, yes, thank you for the the gift cards and the the meat sweats, and I have worn them, but it's still – it's disappointing. Every time I, I say I'm going to go get some food and wife says, where are you going? And I say Arby's, of course, and she's like, no, thanks. If, before, if they had ham, she always got the ham sliders, but now she's like, ah, eh, I'll just make something here. Shout out
1: to our listeners who did drop the Urban Meyer as the uh, yes. RB's shift manager uh, photo into, into our tweets. That was, that was nice. I have a lot of respect for that. Um, I have another – I have an airing of the grievances here. Um, quote, fortunately, there's not a ton to do in Cincinnati, so it's not nobody's going to be going out to clubs and bars and getting COVID every weekend. Joe Burrow.
2: That escalated quickly. It sure did.
1: Uh, it went from a question about how different are you since the last game against Baltimore to now we've gone viral to the fact that everyone's going to make jokes about how the city of Cincinnati sucks. And there's like, as I feel like I have a really good handle on Cincinnatians, as I think you do too, Jay. Mm. The provincial nature of us and the inferiority complex that we all kind of have in a lot of ways, this is just like the worst thing to hear. It just it cuts too deep for, you know, beacon of civic pride, number nine, who you feel like is the one, you know, a lot of people, I think, feel like he's making Cincinnati cool again to say Cincinnati is, in fact, not cool. Uh, there's nothing to do here, no bars or clubs, yeah, yeah. It of course was ran with and became this thing that everyone wanted to get out there as quickly as possible so they can point and laugh at. And it's like the ultimate it it felt a little gotcha y of he says this thing and now everyone's gonna go run to get it out there because it's gonna be fun to laugh at Cincinnati, you know? And he said it. And it would have been, I'm sure it would have been a topic no matter what, whether anybody like why it got quickly thrown out there or not. But that's just the nature of the world we're in. But I just hate that it comes to that. Look, if you were coming to Cincinnati looking for club life, you get what you deserve. And you 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 get very little. Like this is this is not a club town. This is not a as fun as the Dora is, and, and lots of places are to go out, it's not like crazy nightlife. It's, you know, like this isn't Vegas. This isn't Miami. This isn't New York. This isn't LA. It is different that way. I'll go again, though. I will put the food and beverage Cincinnati community up against absolutely anyone pound for pound in the entire country. I will put the local arts and access to big time sports, huge college hoops, NFL, oldest team in the history of baseball, great venues, music venues that are on the rise now even more. Mm -hmm. Jay, you know that. Even the BP in Hamilton gets good concerts. (laughs) You know, Aronoff Center, all of all of that community parks, I will put up against anyone for a city of this size, anywhere. And that may not like resonate with the average 20-something NFL player. I get it. Who maybe is, you know, you're maybe you just spent time in New Orleans or you want to go play in Miami. I, I get it. But the fact that it becomes this like joke of there's nothing to do in cincinnati is just hysterical and the fact that everyone wants to get cheap laughs off of that when they've never experienced this place or really been here drives me bananas that that becomes like some piece of the conversation and it's going to be a chance for people to make like chilly jokes who people have no idea no idea anything about what actually this place is really about and That is why it's maddening to me as someone who has that provincial inferiority complex, civic pride that I kind of do, that all of a sudden this is now the conversation. Not that he said it, whatever, or that it blew up, whatever. It's just that now it's now like this is the conversation that everybody is going to see come across their phone. And that's just, it's my airing of
2: the grievances on that one. You know who's at the top of the list of people who don't know what this city is all about? Joe Burrow. He never <laughs> leaves his house. He doesn't go out. How does he even know? He showed I mean, up in a pandemic. Exactly. And even if he even if it wasn't, he just seems like that kind of – he would rather stay home and watch Netflix or grind film. He's not the going out type. Yeah. I And he did – he smirked when he said it like he and it, it, I don't I don't think it, it was kind of a gotcha thing with the way it got put out there so quick. And like every TV station jumped on it. Um, and I, I was watching some local news last night and they were all running with it. But it wasn't it wasn't a leading question at all. It, it There was, no. he, you know, he kind of went that way on his own. So it, I, it wasn't a gotcha. But, you know, Ben, Ben, baby who who was I think the first one that put it out there, he made a good point. He's like, I, I wonder if Joe Burrow's ever going to say anything fun again, because he is just getting roasted over this. And um I just I I do I agree with you. It is it is a total mischaracterization. There is there is so much to do here. And it's not going to compare with a with an LA or a New Orleans or anything like that. But I mean, if you can't find a good time in Cincinnati, you're you're not looking. And
1: that's fine. People can can pile on and dunk on them all they want to. It's whatever. Um, my only other airing of the grievances, and I'll and I'll be done. Uh, would be there is a piece from Tom Pelissero, and it's a great piece. Talks to a bunch of uh, GMs, execs from a bunch of teams, and talks about awards for the year and, and who should win them. Goes through them, you know, offensive defensive player of the year. Jamar Chase narrowly edged out by Mac Jones for offensive rookie of the year uh, amongst that group of people, and then they got to executive of the year, and they name off like a Bill Belichick ended up being the one they gave it to, and there's a but there's a bunch of different there's about seven or eight different execs and or groups mentioned even mentioned the group of the Dallas Cowboys of Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones. And not a mention of the Bengals in there. And that's – I have a grievance with that. I mean, I'm not saying they should win it. I'm not saying Bill Belichick doesn't deserve it for what he's been able to do in New England and the Mac Jones pick and the spending spree working out for them. But when you read through the explanation for why New England and Bill Belichick deserves it, it's hard not to think, are they actually writing about Cincinnati? Getting the number one pick right? Taking advantage of a free agent spending spree in a year where most weren't, and how hard that is to do. Pulling a team that struggled last year back up into relevancy. Like, who were we? Was that written about Belichick, or was that written about Duke Tobin and the family? Because aren't we talking about the same thing? I don't think they should necessarily win, but the fact that they're not even including them in the conversation. Amongst those people, Um, I'm surprised by that, and I think it's just that shows kind of the general, as we all know, exists and is real and relevant, and that's fine. Uh, Just general disrespect, I think that the rest of the league has for this ownership group. Um,
2: But you know, that's just that's probably me just broadly brushing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about getting the first round pick, right? Uh, The 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 spending and free agency. What about? taking the risk and taking a kicker in the fifth round and, and having that payoff where what's this team's record right now, if they don't have Evan McPherson and it's just, it's, it, it's been impressive. I know a lot of people like to bang on Mike Brown and, and Duke even, but it, the, I mean, if, if you're saying that this team is where it's at right now in spite of, of the front office, which basically by leaving them out of that conversation, you are, I mean, wh- who are you giving the credit to? Is it all Joe Burrow? Is it all Zach Taylor? I don't, I, I think the front office is gets, it sh- deserves as much credit as anybody else for where this team is right now.
1: Yeah. I wrote about it this season and, and you know, back, I think it was actually after the first Baltimore game about how you, at a certain point, you've got to point out that every controversial debate that was had this off season um, about what the Bengals should and shouldn't do, they were proven right on. I mean, really, for the most part, and including those involving their three pro bowlers, <laughs> Trey <laughs> Hendrickson over Carl Lawson, yep. Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell, paying Joe Mixon. Now, I don't... We know how I stand on that. I still disagree. But still, he 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 has been a big part of this team and this offense and made the pro bowl and all that. And, um, you know, that's... All part of this equation too. Let's get in. Let's get back into this game, Jay, and uh, we'll start out with your stats, Jay. You've got some stats. Well, first of all, you won know, uh, a record that's out there. You mentioned Evan McPherson. It's kind of fun that he has a chance to tie Justin Tucker's one. Well, one a record that Justin Tucker is tied for for most fifty yard plus. Jeez, 50-plus-yard field goals in a season. Justin Tucker is tied for the record with 10. Evan McPherson currently has nine. It'd be kind of fun if he could do that with Justin Tucker in the building. Maybe do it twice.
2: Yeah. Take the the actual record. uh, Also, sharing that record is Brandon McManus, who he went head-to-head against last week in Denver. And then the other one is Blair Walsh, who, like McPherson, did it as a rookie. So yeah, he's he's one fifty-yarder away from from tying the record, and I should have looked this up. I don't know where Tucker is this year, but um, it it would surprise me if Evan doesn't break that record. I mean, he only needs two fifty-yard field goals in the last three games, and we've seen they've got all the faith in the world in him to to send him out there well beyond fifty. So, and and you have to figure. These games are going to be tight. These last three games, they're going to they're going to maybe need a, a big field goal at the end of a half or at the end of the game. So i I think he gets it. Whether somebody else beats him this year and gets more than he does, that's a different question. But I, I'd be stunned if he doesn't end the year with with eleven or more fifty plus yard field goals. What other stats do you got, Jay? Okay, so I was looking back that the, the Bengals beat the Steelers by at least fourteen points in both games this year, and they beat the Ravens by more than fourteen. So I was When was the last time that's happened? And then I went beyond. I was like, well, what about just total? How many times since the AFC North was formed in 2002 have the Bengals beat the Steelers by double digits or by 14 points? And how many times have they beat the Ravens by 14 points? Well, from 2002 to 2020, they did it six times total. They've done it three this year. It could go to four on Sunday. Um, They... The last time that they they swept those teams in a season was the the last time they swept the entire vision, which was 2009. That's that's the only time in AFC North history that they've beat the they've swept the Steelers and the Ravens so that those are both on the line on Sunday if they can if they can knock off the Ravens. And then I was wondering, you know, the Ravens are known for defense and Jamar Chase had this this huge 201-yard game, so I was, I was wondering what's the Bengals' record for most receiving yards in a season against the Ravens. And it's 287, so that means Jamar would need 86 to tie, 87 to beat it on Sunday. You, you have any guess on who might have that record? I, I can guess who you're going to guess, and it'll be wrong. All right, well so I'm gonna have to play off that then. I'm gonna say <laughs> TJ Hushmanzada. And you nailed it, yes sir. Yes. Two thousand and four. Uh had a hundred sixteen yard game and a hundred and eighty seven yard game.
1: Yeah. I, I, probably I think a lot of people have said, Chad, said you wouldn't
2: have if you wouldn't have dropped that line, I probably would have said uh, chat. I thought you were leaning AJ Green because it seemed like he just always tortured the Ravens, yeah. but but yeah, I was surprised to see that it was Hushmanzada. I'll take it.
1: How about that? I'll take a little
0: win.
2: <laughs>
1: uh I honestly don't remember if we I between the live room and the Tuesday episode and an hour with Mo, and now back here again, I did a half hour on Baltimore Radio the other day. I don't remember when and where I've said certain things, so if I've already gone through this stat before, I apologize. But the history of translating the second game you know, is quite remarkable. So what I mean by that is, you win by two touchdowns at least in the first game of a divi- in a division, like they did against Pittsburgh, and followed up by doing so again. They did it in the first game against Baltimore. Can they do it again? What are the odds of that? How often does that happen? The last two years, teams are eighteen and four in the second game. Now, not in blowing them out again, but just in winning. Their record in the second game after winning the first game by at least two touchdowns is 18-4 and the last two years. Two of those losses are the Steelers' meltdown last year at the end of the season when they all of a sudden just fell apart as a team. The Bengals were responsible for one of those, 27-17 on Monday Night Football. Again, I apologize if I've already said this. I just don't remember where and when I've said all these things (laughs) anymore. There's just too many hours of me rambling into microphones for no reason. So, um, All right, let's get down to it. Growler bet. Jay, what are you you thinking for growler bet?
2: All right, we're going to go with the game's longest rush plus the game's longest pass plus the game's longest field goal.
1: Okay. The Ravens are giving up some long passes. So that's, you know, if we were run, pass, or booting, which will be longest, uh, I would probably be taking pass, which might maybe that's controversial, but that's not the question here. Um, So I'm going to say a 14-yard run and we'll do a 56-yard pass to get us up to 70. And then I will do a 51-yard field goal <laughs> to get us to 121 as my growler bet. Answer. That,
2: that is the exact same number I had. I oh, had really. I had 20, 48, and 52. So I guess I'll go 131 just to keep the palindrome. No, you in can. Play you can and, just
1: pick an over/under on that. Do you want to go over or under that number?
2: Um o- over under your 121.
1: Over under the 121? You gonna take the over then?
2: Yeah, I'll go All over.
1: Right. 122 for you, 121 for me. We'll play it over under then. Uh, I don't like this as a growler bet. <laughs> Is it gonna be too easy? Is this too winnable?
2: Maybe. But what if what if Jamar Chase has another what do you have 81 yarder or well, the thing nicked? is they
1: even each other out yeah they even each other out how about this you need to get two numbers correct i need all three legs <laughs> i need all three legs from you and I'm, you don't have to get them all right you need to get one of the three legs right and the total correct yeah that works. So you either get the longest run correct, you get the longest pass correct, or the longest field goal correct, and the total correct. So you need two of the four numbers to be correct in order to win the delicious 50 West beer. Still some OUOES scattered <laughs> around the city if you want to. They had it on draft up there at, at 50. Uh, but if you want some delicious 50 West beer, 92 of the four legs. Uh, hashtag Bengals Growler Bet or pdaner at theathletic.com. Run pass for boot time.
2: What do you got? I think I've got a, one that's pretty pertinent to the game here. We're, we're going to go Ravens rushing yards. The Ravens are their number three rushing offense. The Bengals are the number four rushing defense. Ravens are averaging 144 per game. The Bengals are averaging, allowing 95. So that there's a big range there. So the first prong is Ravens rushing yards. Second prong, Burrow passer rating. And the third one is Bengals red zone percentage plus Bengals third down percentage.
1: What is the red zone and third down percentages on the year average?
2: Um, 99.3 if you add them together.
1: The combo is on average yes. 99.3.
3: Okay.
2: It's like 33 and 66.
1: All right. This is a simple one,
2: I think, for me.
1: It is. Uh, I'm going to run with Burrow passer rating. I'm going to pass on red zone plus third down. And I'm going to boot Ravens rushing yards. I don't think they run for a ton. I think they might fall behind. I think the Bengals will do a good job of stopping the run. And I I think if Lamar plays, he's not going to be able to run as much. I think if Huntley plays, he's going to want to throw it more. And so for that fact – uh, I'm gonna go with a low, a low rushing number and and boot that one. So, Burrow,
2: Bengals red zone plus third down, then booting Ravens rushing yards. Yeah, I just have questions with with the Bengals linebackers, and you heard Jeff say they. It's not like they have great running backs, and we don't know if Lamar's gonna play. So that is the rushing yards one is a big wild card here. Um, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna run with Burrow passing yards, but I am gonna I'm gonna pass on the rushing yards, and I'm gonna boot red zone percentage and, and third down percentage. I just I feel like this has more of a chance to be a a low grinded out game, just because so much is on the line, and and maybe there's gonna be some more a more conservative approach by both coaches. Um, I don't think it's gonna be this this crazy shootout or like Jeff was kind of hinting at a blowout. So that's the way I'm going to go. Okay. Uh,
1: All right. Prediction time. I have mine written down here. Jay, I will let you go
2: first. I'm going to say Bengals 24, Ravens 23. Okay. I've been pretty bad at picking the Bengals lately, too. I've I've been wrong in five of the last seven games. I've been feeling pretty good about uh, the last two weeks.
1: Have been on the right side of the news, and ha- it's it's I've been I've been happy about that, and I've got a pretty strong feeling about this week. I'm with Jeff. I think they run away with it. I think the Bengals are in such better shape, health wise. I think they're still the team that beat them up in Baltimore. I think there's a confidence that comes from that. I like the way they're playing right now. You know, it's obviously it's going to be a matter of not making mistakes. I don't think Baltimore has the weaponry to keep up. Again, they keep having these miracle comebacks over and over again, and, and you're always wondering about that. They just seem to find a way against all odds to be right there at the end. But I think the Bengals are capable of putting them away. And I think there's a chance this thing could end up looking like the Pittsburgh game a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to pick that. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think they win it going away. And I'm also doing this, Jay. I wrote about it earlier in the week. The leverage involved in this. How important it is. Turning it over. Taking <laughs> off the must-win armband. Oh. <laughs> I don't think they're making anything if they lose this one. Makes sense. They still can. Yeah. The path exists. I don't think they will. And I think they've got to have this one. So I'm calling it taking my one singular shot. <laughs> Must win for the Bengals. Armband off. Twenty-eight seventeen. 17 Bengals win.
2: Ooh. So that would, give, that would give them their f- the fourth double-digit win of the year against the Steelers and Ravens. It's, it's uncharted territory. It is. You know, we haven't really you know been in a place where you can feel like
1: you can confidently predict this team to win a huge game, but I go back to I think in some of their biggest games they've played some of their best football, and Joe Burrow plays some of his best football. When this sets up to be a Burrow game, and you have the matchups that you do, and your healthy receivers like you do, healthy tight end that burned them last time like you do. I just think that that is going to be far too much for this battered Ravens defense to overcome. And I think they can post a number on them. I don't know. And then at that point, you're nine and six, and the Chiefs come to town and. That is a game that is all about how good is this team? Mm -hmm. What can they really do? Because if they hang with the Chiefs, you start thinking big, big. But that is counting chickens before they hatch. They got to have this one first. Must win. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We will be back with the walkout. Hopefully won't we won't need some emergency postponement pod between now and then, but keep it locked to us on the site. If you're not a subscriber, we highly recommend it. There's a 50% off deal going on right now. Um, or uh, on Twitter at Paul Leonard Jr, at Jay Morrison. You can always come check us out there and get all the latest news. And we'll be back with the walkout on Sunday and we'll have the live room then on Monday at lunch. Noon to uh, discuss everything that went down. So we've got all that there for you. And take some time away. Enjoy your family. Merry Christmas. Uh, I hope it's a great weekend for all of you. And then we will reconvene on the flip side of the holiday. So have a good one, everybody.